Product Stacks is brought to you by Storyblock, one of the world's fastest growing headless CMSs. A headless CMS like Storyblock separates the back end from the front end. By moving to an API based CMS like Storyblock, you can publish your content to any front end, whether that's your marketing website or directly inside your product. Developers love Storyblock because they can use it with any front end framework they prefer and create components that can be reused anywhere as content blocks, cutting development time in half. Content teams are excited about the discussions feature built directly into Storyblock's visual editor. No more Slack or email threads to discuss content changes. Join 86,000 developers plus companies like Harvard Business School, Adidas, Netflix, Oatly, and Pizza Hut who all use Storyblock by trying a free demo at storyblock.com slash department of product. Go to storyblock.com slash department of product. That's Storyblock with a K at the end slash department of product. Joining us today, we have Majid from Venmo, and Majid is a senior product manager at Venmo. So thanks very much, Majid, for taking some time out of your, your busy day. And do you want to kick off with a little bit of an introduction as to who you are and what kind of products you work on? Yeah, thank you, Richard. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So currently, I'm working at Venmo as a senior product manager, like you mentioned. Beforehand, I was at PayPal, and I was also a senior product manager. I've worked on the credit products there, the buy now, pay later products, the Venmo credit product. And right now I am working on the Venmo debit product. Okay. Awesome. So a lot of, a lot of experience in the, in the FinTech space and finance space. And how do you, how do you find that generally that, that, that space? Yeah, it's exciting. You know, there's a lot of really cool opportunities. You're able to help customers in ways that we haven't been able to before, especially now with all the open banking and APIs. There's a lot of really yeah. cool data, helps people organize their finances and provides financial education for customers. So it's very exciting. Awesome. So so before we delve into your the products that you use on a day-to-day basis, what we thought we could do is just kind of take a bit of a high level view about your product processes at Venmo. So things like, you know, how do you decide what goes on your roadmap? What kind of, how, who's involved in your team? What does the makeup of your team look like? And then from a kind of day-to-day executional perspective, how do you actually build products? So I thought we could just take a quick look. I'll just share my screen. So in terms of like your, your overall roadmap and strategy process, how does, how does it work at Venmo? You know, how do you decide what to build yeah so we have direction from our leadership on what we're pushing for whether that's user engagement or a new number of users whatever those metrics are that we're pushing for we discuss as a product group on the best ways in order to make them a reality so based on that we then create high level documents regarding various initiatives that we'd like to pursue. We review those within the product team to determine which ones we'd like to move forward with. Okay. And, you know, we've spoken to other people during this series and they, and they've said, you know, the types of documents that they might write. So they, some of them, so we spoke to Kristen from Shopify, for example, and she was saying that they create similar documents to like the likes of Amazon, where they create like almost like a a press release, which is customer oriented. Do you, but Venmo do similar things like that, where you create like these customer oriented documents or the other documents that you might use? Yeah, we followed the six pager process a while while ago, that's the okay. Amazon process. So yeah, we've we've moved now to a one-page process where we have a high-level description of what we're trying to solve, as well as the audience and the hypothesis that if this 
hypothesis is true, these are the outcomes that we expect. And ultimately from there, we now develop assumptions. We test out those assumptions to validate and it's really focused on the scientific process as trying to validate that hypothesis that we have in our, that document. And it's based off of that. Yeah, okay. And would it be, so at a, is that done at like a, a team level or is that done, how is like on what granularity would you do that? Is it, is it every team would come up with their own hypotheses and their own documents or is it done at a slightly higher level or? So the initiatives begin at a team discussion for a new project. From there, it's split to various product managers in order to create a high level one document, one page document. That okay. document is then reviewed with the overall product team, as well as the engineers, marketing team, design team, to make sure that we're all on the same page, that we all believe the outcome will result from this initiative, that the assumptions are all aligned, as well as the level of effort. So it's yeah. a living document that constantly gets reiterated and refined the more it gets reviewed. So it gets tidied up by the time we actually kick it off. So this is typically the template that we follow for our one pagers. It could be modified depending on the different projects, but it usually follows this template. Yeah. So the first item that we have is the overview where we describe the problem statement and provide a bit of context. This could be a problem statement such as customers are unable to add certain type of bank or customers have to wait X number of days in order to transfer funds, whatever might be the case. Just so if someone were to read a few sentences up here, they'd understand what it is that the problem is. The next is who's impacted by this problem. So we try to get as granular as we can so that we specify our audience for this uh, specific issue. And then we have a hypothesis. And typically this is what takes the most time. So uh, our hypothesis is how do we believe this can be solved? Like what it is that we're actually trying to solve. Usually an if then statement, you know, if we enable instant add funds, then more customers will transfer funds or whatever might be the case, right? Yeah. It really requires us to kind of take a step back and realize what we're actually trying to solve. Because oftentimes we get in a mindset of features, you know, pushing out yeah. features as opposed to what is the problem that we're actually trying to solve. Um, then we go into assumptions. So what must be true for our hypothesis to actually be valid, right? And these assumptions could be using the example of instant ad funds. Customers want access to their funds instantly. Another assumption could be that customers uh, are willing to pay for, to add their funds instantly. Yeah. And our assumptions are going to be this one page this one page template is going to have input from multiple people, right? So different product managers, engineers, designers, whatever might be the case, might think of an assumption that we might have not thought of. And it's important that we list it in here because it could potentially solve an issue for us. It could be something that we're not thinking about. So it's good to have a lot of input on these assumptions. After that, we go into our impact. So our impact is going to be what we expect to happen if this hypothesis is true. And this is going to be based off of customer research. It could be based off of A-B testing that we've done. It could be based off of data that we already have, right? So this is going to be a high level estimate of what we think our metrics are. In order to determine this, we should identify the baseline as well. You know, what are we measuring against? And this is yeah. where our metrics come into place. And then the level of effort is if we were going to solve this issue in our hypothesis, 
what's how much time is it going to take us you know how long is it going to take to come up with the engineering solution what about the designs going through our legal reviews just to get a high level estimate of actually running this initiative and then based off of this information we have together a single document that's easy to read quick to read that highlights the problem, highlights the solution, as well as the impact. And those are the big factors here. And we can take that and start prioritizing projects because we know the impact and we know the level of effort. And then we can start, you know, putting, creating a hierarchy for a roadmap. Yeah. And how do you, in terms of the level of effort, what metric would you use there? Would you use like t-shirt sizes or would you use days, months, weeks, or how does, yeah. Often it's t-shirt sizes, especially for the first iteration, we use t-shirt sizes. So we go to the small, medium, large, extra large. As we start sharing this with the engineering team and start getting additional feedback, we start refining this a little bit more. So we can say it's instead of a medium, it could be, you know, four to six sprints. And then once we actually get this prioritized and slotted, We'll then go through the Jira stories and get those slotted and become more accurate with our level of effort. Okay, perfect. And is it is it words that you would use for this, or do you would you use a confluence for this? For this one pager, we use a Word document that we upload okay. into SharePoint, and then we link this one pager to our confluence page. Right. Okay. And then this gets shared with all of your key stakeholders ahead of before you've even started to like build any of it that's right this is you can view this more as a proposal for an initiative yeah okay and how does this link to your roadmap would this be would what's on this page be like an individual item on your roadmap would you say that's correct so for example like a direct deposit feature that we would be working on we would create we would fill out this document We'd share it to our key stakeholders. We would get additional input from our key stakeholders. And then we'd evaluate it as a product team of whether or not we would like to pursue this. And if we do, then we assess the priority against other one pages. Awesome. That's really helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. And do you have any like special templates that you use for things like roadmaps? Because every PM that we speak to has a different way of representing roadmaps. I don't know if you... Do you do roadmaps at at Venmo and do you have any special kind of ways of visualizing those types of things? Yeah, we definitely do roadmaps. The tools that we use for roadmaps is most often Smartsheet. We use Smartsheet because everyone within the organization will have access to it. We work with third-party partners. They also have access to it. We're able to divide the work streams into Smartsheet, identify dependencies and lay out in columns the different teams working simultaneously, as well as identify what's coming up. So it's a it's a clean way to represent the roadmap. In terms of your team setup, what would a typical team be comprised of at Venmo? Yeah, so we have the product manager. We also have a project manager, typically okay. for various initiatives. We have our engineering lead, and we also have a design lead. Mm-hmm. And depending on the product, or we could have a marketing lead as well. Okay. So typically we meet once a week and we go through the status of the project, make sure everyone is on the same page. There are no open concerns and we're all aligned. 
Okay, interesting. And, and what would you say is the, is the difference between the product manager and the project manager in terms of their roles and responsibilities? So the product manager, what we really do is define the why, why we're going about this initiative, um, what we're trying to achieve from it. While the project manager is chasing down some of these dependencies with the various teams, aligning the roadmap as far as timelines go, communicating out those timelines, and organizing the discussions that need to take place. Okay, interesting. Yeah, a lot. Sometimes teams will also have like a, a scrum master to ensure that the team are not blocked. Do you have anything similar to that, or who's who's kind of responsible for? Date, ensuring that the day-to-day -day execution of the team is is running as as it should is that the engineering lead or is it someone else yeah that's a great question so we used to have scrum masters where they would go through the different ceremonies and make sure that the team is aligned regarding the work that we're doing since then we've had a different kind of approach so the engineering lead will make sure that there are no engineering block blocks for the project as far as the ceremonies go We've have we've had different processes with different teams. So yeah. some teams, what we do is we have it rotating. So a different engineer could be the scrum master for one session. That way everyone is involved in the process. There are some teams where the engineering lead is the scrum master throughout the process as well. It really kind of depends on the team itself, but we've done both and they both seem to work pretty well. Okay, awesome. And and what was the thinking bit like in terms of the engineering lead and the design lead? Are they are they dedicated to a specific team or do they have oversight across teams? Yeah, so they have oversight across team. Our engineering lead is dedicated to a certain team. Our design lead is across teams. Right. Typically, what will happen is the design lead is responsible for the design of a certain product. And they are the point of reference for that. They take that through the design reviews. They make sure that it's okay with the legal teams, as well as the accessibility is on point and we're using the right components for that. Yes, that's, that's, that's something that we, we see quite a lot actually over the last couple of, couple of years is that having engineering leads and UX and design leads, almost like overseeing across squads helps to create right. component libraries and helps to make sure that teams are not replicating a lot of work unnecessarily and that so do you do you do you have like a component libraries and things like that for your design system that's absolutely right we have component libraries that we yeah. reference to your point having a design lead across projects ensures that we use the same components yeah. As opposed to a design lead dedicated to one project across the company, there's a lot of overlap. We start seeing different components being used within the same experience and it's not very clean. So it does save a lot of rework by having that horizontal stream. Yep, definitely. And, and finally, you touched upon, you know, some of the software development processes that, that you use. And I think you mentioned that it does change depending on the team. So it would be good. It'd be great to get a bit of a, an idea of the types of software development processes that, that you use. Yeah. So we all, as far as Venmo goes, we use agile process. So we're in scrums, the two week scrums where we have planning, we have our retros. We also have refinement sessions. As far as the tools that we use to run through the agile process, we go through Jira. 
which is a great yeah. tool. It allows us to develop high-level milestones. We use epics. We're able to identify dependencies as well as put timelines on certain items, tag different people. So it's, it's very useful in that aspect. Okay. Have you ever, so does, does every single team use, use Scrum with two-week sprints? That's correct. Yeah. And how does that, does that generally work for you? Because we, we speak to some companies and they are, sometimes that type of system is imposed upon teams because, the, you know, the, at the C-level, CTOs, CPOs want consistency and they want to be able to measure things like velocity. And so it gets mm -hmm. imposed upon the team. In other companies, you know, teams just naturally gravitate towards that system. And then in other companies, we see that, you know, they have different processes for each individual squad, which can be messy to try to interpret and measure at a higher level, but more efficient on a, on a lower day-to-day -day executional level when you're in the thick of the details. So I wondered whether, you know, I wondered where that process came from and whether you've ever thought about, you know, evolving it or. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, when, when Venmo started using this agile process, I mean, Venmo has been using the agile process for a very long time, but they aligned with the PayPal sprints. Right. Because they were not the same numbers, they were off a week. So there was a period where there was a three-week sprint in order to align with the PayPal sprints. Right. And excuse, and, excuse my, sorry to interrupt, excuse my yeah. ignorance, but is, is Venmo owned by PayPal? That's correct. And we use a platform approach, meaning that the technology that's developed on PayPal, we're able to utilize that on Venmo. We just right. call through PayPal as PayPal is the platform and we're able to leverage a lot of the development that PayPal has done. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So during that time where there was an alignment with PayPal, it, it was a bit rough because the teams were not used to that. But that being said, the reason why we did that is there's a lot of dependencies on the PayPal team as it is the platform for Venmo. So yeah. by aligning with the same sprints and getting all the teams to use the agile sprint method, we're able to identify dependencies easier. We're able to plan easier because we can see, okay, the payments team, their work ends on this day and yeah. the risk team, they have availability on this day. So all these dependent teams are aligned and we're able to plan more efficiently. Okay, awesome. Thanks. Thanks very much for the for yep. the context. So now that we've now that we've talked a little bit about the high level process and context, it would be good to take a bit of a deep dive into some of the some of the products and the tools that you use on a day to day basis. Okay, let's do it. Let's start with your first product. Yes. Yeah, so the first thing that I start my day with is looking at data. Okay. And these are this is the data for all the various products that we work on, and I use Amplitude to look at our data. We're yeah. able to create different dashboards, look at our A-B tests, and just see the overall health of the products. Mm -hmm. And as a product manager, I consider data to be the most important aspect of this position because it really uncovers so many different things about the customers that we might not realize that require a second look and it enables us to make a better product for our customers. Yeah. And with Amplitude, I've personally used it a few times. We had some people come in to demo it to us and I've spoken to other teams who have used it and some people absolutely love it, but some people find it, it can be quite difficult to get actually to get set up because it's quite, as with most of these products, there's a lot, you know, you can overwhelm yourself quite easily. Are there any particular, are there any particular aspects of 
of amplitude that you use do you head up your own personal dashboards are there certain like events that you that you track or you know how, how do you get your setup done on, on, on amplitude yeah so there are preset events that you can use okay. in amplitude as well as create your own events there is a bit of a learning curve and when i first started amplitude i tried to measure everything right that's what right. we tend to do as yeah. product we want to know everything that's going on and over very soon it's overwhelming with the data and yeah. uh, it's really about trying to find that right happy medium to figure out the, enough information to so you realize what customers are intending but not so much that you're overwhelming yourself with data yeah and how does that link back to, to things like OKRs or, or North Star metrics? Do, do you do you at Venmo, do you have OKRs? Do you, do you choose specific metrics that you're trying to shift? Yeah, definitely. So some of our high metrics would include engagement. This could be monthly active users, right. signing into the platform, sending money, direct deposit numbers. So there's a lot of different metrics that we do follow. We're able to use Amplitude to create a funnel for those metrics. So we can document the customer journey from the time they start that experience to the time they end that experience. Yeah. And we're able to piece together the puzzle on what's happening with that customer journey. If a customer is dropping off at a certain point in that journey, maybe they're looking for something that they weren't expecting, or yeah. if the customer is having certain troubles within that journey, we're able to identify those. It's it's almost like detective work and you're able to see what's actually happening throughout their path. Yeah, definitely. And are there any, you know, unique quirks or unique things that you've done personally when using Amplitude? Have you got like any insider tips or knowledge that you could share? Or have you got any unique ways that you personally use it? No worries if you don't, by the way, but... Yeah, there's Amplitude has a really cool feature where they call it paths, where you're able to see specific pages that the customer goes through in their once they first start their experience when they open the app to the time they exit the app. And it really gives you insight on how your customers are using the product. Because yeah. oftentimes we create these experiences and we envision the customers going through them in a certain order or a certain path. And that's typically not the case. So it really gives us some good insight on that. And it also allows us to enhance that experience that the customers are going through and make it better and identify ways to increase engagement and solve some of these customers' problems. Okay, awesome. So paths is something that, that you'd recommend that people people check out. Definitely. Awesome. So let's let's move on to the second product that you've chosen then. What is it? Yeah, Jira. So Jira is definitely a popular tool. It's used by a ton of different companies and for a good reason. It allows us to visualize the overall steps re required in order to complete an initiative. It also gives us timelines, which we can create through the sprints to give that indication. It allows us to estimate different stories and how long it's going to take, identify the blockers, dependencies. And we're able to review all of this with the engineering team. So it's a great organizational tool, as well as planning for features. Yeah. I mean, in our experience, what we found is a lot of teams use Jira and some teams absolutely love it. And some teams really don't like it at all. I think as with all of these tools or you know, a lot of the bigger tools, because you can customize it so much, it does so many different things that it can be quite difficult to find out like how it does the really basic stuff and because you can tailor it to your own organization's needs jira at company a can be very diff 
different to Jira at company B. So someone's personal experience at a certain company doesn't necessarily reflect the tool itself. It's more like how they've customized it and tailored it to their own needs. Are there any certain things that you use with Jira? You mentioned, you know, you can visualize certain things. You mentioned story points. Are there any certain ways in which you use it that you'd recommend others should use it? And also it'd be interesting to see how you how you do estimations as well, since you mentioned that. It would be good to get your your steer on how to how to do that. Yeah, you bring up a lot of good points. Like with any of these tools, you have to find the right balance of too much information and not enough information. And that could depend on the different projects that you're working on. The purpose that we use Jira for is not necessarily to write all our requirements in one Jira ticket but we provide enough data so that the, the engineers know what's required in order to complete the story. They know where they can go to to get more information and they know who to reach out to. So with those three items, that's what we really hit on with on the JIRA tickets. I, I, for initiatives, we put initiatives in epics and okay. it's nice having an initiative in an epic. For example, let's say it was a direct deposit project that we're working on, we're able to look at that view and see all the different information required in order to complete this project. We're able to see how much points it's going to take so we can get an estimated level of effort for that, as well as when it's expected to complete it because it's slotted in different sprints. So it's, it's a great organizational tool. And do you use things like story points? You mentioned that. Are you using like Fibonacci numbers? That That's right. We use Fibonacci numbers. Yeah. And how does, do you then, I know that Jira's rolled out some new features over the last couple of years, things like, I think they've got like a roadmap feature where you can actually like put, plot certain epics along the roadmap. Are there any of those types of features that you use? Yeah, we don't use the roadmapping feature for Jira. We use Jira specifically for slotting stories and sprints. We also use the feature of sprint reports and burndown charts mm -hmm. and working with points it's it's really an iterative process as you work with a team and you know the engineers and you start knowing the different the amounts of points that they typically complete you start being able to refine that more and more and become more accurate with that because pointing system is an estimate right? it's not yeah going to be exact and there are always things that could pop up blockers somebody might be out sick whatever might be the case so it's really just trying to tighten up that estimate by looking at the previous sprints and getting a good calculation for the number of points that could be completed. And I don't have something I can show you for this, but I will tell you that I personally use Jira for my own to-do lists because no, I would, really? yeah, I typically <laughs> would just write. You are a big fan. You are... I'm a big fan dedication. and there's a reason for that. It's, it's the easiest way or it's the most efficient way to plan a project. And whether that's going to be a personal project or something that you do for work, you're able to use these tools in order to identify your goals, figure out when you're trying to complete them, figure out your dependencies and really drive a roadmap towards completing the objective. So big fan so you, here. So you use it as a, almost like a productivity tool for yourself as well, do you? That's right. The way I look at it is these are the best tools that the industry is using in order to complete these initiatives. So why wouldn't we use them for our own reasons? Yeah. 
That is, that's very, very interesting. Very good point. And when you're using it for your personal use, how does that, how do you structure that? Do you have like a roadmap or do you have like a, do you just use story points? Like, do you have like a Kanban board? How does that, how does that work? Yeah. So I'll start with my goals, which I would then have as a, as a epic. For example, I had a goal to run a mile in under eight minutes because I have not ran since or exercised very much since the pandemic, right? Yeah. So then based off of that, I would then start creating some stories. Okay, I'm going to do my initial mile time. That's one story. See where I'm at, right? And then I would do, okay, well, let me run two miles twice a week. And then I'd slot that. And then based off of that, I start actively working towards my objective. I have documented where I'm beginning at. I've documented my process. And ultimately, I completed my goal and I was able to complete that. So the tricky part is go circling back, which is also tricky with the teams, is identifying the level of effort, right? Yeah. But as you complete these sprints and you start reviewing the numbers that you're estimating, you're able to get that more accurate. You're able to know what you have time for, what you don't have time for, what you should prioritize. So it is a great productivity tool personally as well as professionally. Okay, cool. And as, as, and as we, as we said for amplitude, are there any unique hacks or unique ways that you use it that you would recommend other people use it and aside from your personal use of it, which is obviously a big different, a big different way to use it, but are there any, you know, based on your experience using Jira, how would you recommend the best way to use it is, is there, are there any unique things that you do that you found to be like really beneficial that you would like to share? The great thing about Jira is that once you complete the story and you actually comment on it, because during stand-up, we go through the tickets, you write comments on the tickets, we're able to reference back to those because people leave companies, they move to different positions, and we got to look back at a previous story to see what was actually done if we're going to touch upon it. And we're able to do that with Jira by looking at that history and looking at the ticket. As long as it's well-documented, we have all the information we need right there. So it's a great way to save an artifact and be able to reference it later. That's a, that's a great tip. So you, t you tend to rely quite heavily on commenting and being able to then reference that back because it use, use like the, you can search by comments, I guess, and then figure out. Exactly. What was and saying. the nice thing is we can go back to the Epic, which is the initiative that we're working on and then look at all the stories that were related to that epic and we say okay well i want to know how accessibility was done on this then we can click on it and we have that document there and that links i think you mentioned that links also to confluence is that right that's right so that is the third product that how is it there you go <laughs> yeah confluence is a is a great tool for writing our requirements okay. and that's what we typically use it for and when you say requirements, what does that mean in a Venmo context? So these are the detailed specifications of the initiative that we're going to launch or the problem that we're solving, right? So in the JIRA ticket, we have more high level engineering focused. The requirements page is going to go into the nitty gritty. The details is broken out requirement number one. And then we go overview customers should be able to do ABC. Then we go to the details. Step one, customer does this. Step two, customer does this. Then we have validations, check database for this, verify that this screen is being showed, verify it matches the design page. And then we actually will have that link to a JIRA ticket. 
So they're both linked, JIRA is linked to the Confluence, Confluence is linked to the JIRA. So if there are any issues with the JIRA ticket, we'll be able to identify them in the Confluence page. Okay, perfect. So it's because it's all owned by the same company, I guess it's very tightly coupled and integrated. That's right. And we're also able to specify the scope of the project, which is very important. So not necessarily what we're doing, but what we're not doing. So that way everyone is on the same page regarding that. I also have a checklist saying, okay, first we created this one pager. Next, we reviewed it with the engineering team and the design team and the marketing team. Then we're going to talk to the legal team. So we were able to go down that. And if anyone were to go on that page, they'd see exactly what step we're on, as well as when we're expected to complete it. So it's more like the, the guide of the product, whereas the other items are very high level. Okay. So would you, would you use like a single document or single confluence space for your entire product or would you use it for specific epics and roadmap items? Like how, how, how comprehensive would like one page be on your confluence page? Yeah. So we have a space, they, they call them the confluence spaces for the overall yeah. product, like the debit card product, for example. And within that space, we would then have child pages for the various initiatives. Right, so yeah. one of those could be direct deposit. And in that direct deposit space, we could have enhancements, which would be its own spot, or we can have a new, like an update, changing the UI, whatever might be the case, and that might be its own page. But typically we have one page per initiative. So that way you don't have to go to a bunch of different spots because that is a pitfall with Confluence is that yeah. page will be created doesn't get touched for a while, then you're searching through Confluence, you're looking at old data. So we really try to organize it in a concise way in one repository with a single source of truth, as opposed to having it all over the place. And would other members of the product team, so engineers, designers, would they all feed into the same documentation as well? Or do they use separate tools? Yeah, that's right. So they would all feed into the same documentation. Engineers, designers are able to ask questions about certain requirements. If things don't make sense, there's also at the very top of our Confluence page, we put all the resources. We put in who the product manager is, when we're trying to launch this, the Jira, Epic. We also put in our Slack channel because we create a specific Slack channel for every initiative. And from that, we make sure that who's ever, uh, who's ever a stakeholder on this product has a chance to review the requirements. Because oftentimes we want to do this way before we ever start so that way everyone is aligned there's not a misconception regarding a certain response or how something's going to be displayed that way we have everything situated so that once we actually kick off development everyone is on the same page perfect i know there are, are there any things that annoy you about confluence are there any things that you'd like to improve about it yeah, there's a few things on the Confluence side. Like I mentioned, the, the biggest pitfall of Confluence is, especially with the larger organizations, things just get outdated, right? Yeah. There's, we got pages that are eight years old that you have to manually go in and purge and no one really knows what's the, the source of truth for these items. There was a way to identify a main page as a source of truth for an initiative that would be definitely worthwhile. Yeah, it's always the it's always the same with documentation. It's like it's, it's super useful and helpful so long as it's up to date and so long as people actually exactly. refer back to it, but it becomes quickly out of date. But I think you know there's a lot 
we were talking about documentation in one of the previous episodes that we did. And we were saying that it has undergone a bit of a renaissance. There was a time maybe like 10 years ago when documentation, or maybe like maybe less than that, but documentation was seen as quite not old fashioned, but it seemed like it was all about lean startup, all about just kind of chatting and telling people like being nimble and not trying to fix the requirements down on paper. But since we've got, you know, a lot of new tools up to the market, especially with like Google Docs, Notion, Confluence, which Mm -hmm. can be, you know, updated in real time then documentation itself is now seen as, you know, almost quite in vogue again. But with that is still the issues around managing documentation over a long time and making sure it doesn't get out of date. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a challenge that we still haven't overcome. Yeah. So your, so your three products that you've chosen are Amplitude, Jira and Confluence. And we are like, and you've, you've also said that you, you use Jira for, for personal use so that you are probably the biggest fan of Jira I think, <laughs> that we ever spoke to. <laughs> so you could have that accolade aside from the three, aside from the three products that we've, that we've touched upon. Are there any other tools or, you know, interesting products that you use personally in your day-to-day role, like productivity tools or anything like that, that you'd like, that you think would be beneficial to, to share with, with our audience? Yeah, definitely Slack. I use Slack very often. I love the ability to be able to create channels, to search through text, to identify conversations regarding a product that I'm working on. What is your, what is your Slack etiquette? Cause some people are respond immediately and some people are, you know what, I'm doing something. I'll come back to that later. How do you approach Slack? Yeah, it really depends on the message. Okay. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> yeah. So uh, makes sense. Yeah. I, it, it is a little tricky to, it, it's very easy to constantly just be responding on Slack as opposed to being more proactive. I love the fact that I can schedule messages because something will come to mind and someone will be offline or it's just towards the end of the day. So I'll just schedule it for later, which is great. It's especially yeah. useful for a large organization where I can look up different employees. One feature I wish that Slack did have was a notes, like a little personal notes. Because there's so many people in a large organization, I often forget who's working on what. It'd be great if I could just like save a little tidbit of information. Yeah, they, I think, I don't know if they've still got it, but they used to, so you can send yourself notes, you can message to, you can basically send a message to yourself. Yes. And they have like a post functionality, which is, I don't think they've given it much love if it's still there, but there was almost like a little, you could create like a little blog post and give it a heading with some bullet points and stuff. I don't know if they've still got that. Yeah, I know that you can send yourself messages for that. Thinking yeah. like, for example, you know, my manager might be like, hey, go talk to Richard. He works on this risk product and he's the person that does A, B, and C. And that might've been a year ago. And then when I go back to message you, got to remember what <laughs> what it is that you were actually working on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, Okay. Cool. Any, anything else aside from aside from Slack that you would recommend our audience check out? So we covered Amplitude, Jira, Confluence, Slack. I really enjoy Figma. Figma is yeah. a great tool. It really allows me to collaborate with the designers, walk through with the engineers, especially we're all visual people for the most part. See yeah. that experience. It's, it's great, especially when we're presenting to other teams to be able to walk through the experience. We're like the legal team. It saves a lot of yeah. time as opposed to having to take screenshots, which then get outdated. And then, yeah. So I really enjoy Figma. 
fig jam as well the the whiteboarding tool or do you i think you mentioned you use miro is that right that's right we use the miro boards i have yeah. yeah i have i think the paypal team was using the fig jam board for a little bit i haven't had too much experience with it but i have used notion notion is great tool as well yeah yeah i use notion notion a lot i think with these tools as with everything you can do so much complex things that you can spend you can make the mistake of spending like too much time optimizing your productivity processes and not actually getting the work done so like there's there's loads of youtube videos about you about notion and like all these complex setups that you can do and it's like by the time i've done that i will have you know i could have done what i wanted to do like five times so it's always finding the balance isn't it but then you know you use jira for your productivity so you know all about you know customizing complex software for your own needs so yeah thanks thanks very much for for taking some time today to share your products are there any places that people can can follow you that kind of thing yep so you can follow me on linkedin Um, also you can follow me on my instagram account okay on both those perfect all right thanks very much and thanks very much thanks for having me richard i had a good time it was great chatting with you cheers see you later thanks a lot all right take care bye